May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, when I was a child, uh, one of the most popular novels in Christian circles, those circles in which I traveled anyway, was Frank E. Peretti's book, This Present Darkness. How many of you all remember This Present Darkness? Okay, not a whole lot, which, which is uh, other church. I bet you if we were at Three Streams, like Father Barry is right now, he's covering for at Three Streams, everybody would have read that, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> it was probably one of the most important works of fiction to popularize, portray, and yes, influence contemporary Christian or at least evangelical ideas about spiritual warfare um, as the book depicts the conspiracies and crimes in the little college town as really being a manifestation of the bigger battle between angels and demons in the unseen world. And it's been many, many years since I read this. I think I was in junior high when I read it, maybe early high school. Um, and I haven't picked it up or even its sequel at the time uh, in, in, since then. But I do distinctly remember it being a riveting read. It was, it was great, all the literary excitement of a good modern fantasy novel or maybe a modern horror fiction or something like that. Um, but that said, depending on your church background, you may have experienced an approach to the ideas of angels and demons and spiritual warfare that looks a lot more like something out of Peretti's novel than um, from the Bible. As we reach our halfway point in Lent, there are six Sundays. We are Sunday number three today. You may have noticed that our gospel passages do indeed portray our Lord engaging in spiritual warfare. In the gospel from our first Sunday in Lent, we saw Jesus battling Satan after our Lord's 40-day fast in the wilderness. And if you remember the story, if you remember the gospel from two weeks ago, Jesus didn't exercise any supernatural theatrics against the devil. Rather, he simply countered Satan's temptations with the Holy Scriptures. He modeled for us a simple and yet powerful battle strategy that can be followed by any decently catechized Christian. Now, he certainly could have used his supernatural powers. I mean, he, he, he is God after all. Uh, but instead, he did something that we all could do, right? Well, last week, we saw Jesus healing the demon-vexed daughter of a Canaanite woman, and not only do we not see Jesus engaging in any dramatic displays of power in this particular instance, but Jesus heals the child without being close to her. He's not, she's not around. He simply assured her mother of God's promises ob obtained by the mother's faith in God. And it says at that very hour, the daughter was healed, who wasn't even there at the time. Well, throughout our Latin passages, we see that the spiritual warfare is mostly about combating the lies and temptations from our enemy with Scripture and prayer and simple obedience to our Lord. 
Well, in today's passage, we see Jesus casting out a demon and addressing the very concept of spiritual warfare with the devil. So turn your Bibles to Luke 11, beginning at verse 14. Luke 11, 14. And this is found in your prayer book on page 129. Page 129 in your prayer book. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. Parenthetically, my Greek teacher told us if we translate it as dumb on our tests, we will get it wrong. <laughs> that is not a socially acceptable term these days. Uh, apologies to the King James that we read during the service. He was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one, when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Well, if you're reading this pericope uh, from your prayer book, you might not notice this. But the passage that immediately precedes our gospel reading is uh, the Lord's teaching that gives us the Lord's Prayer. He, uh, he, he discusses then Christian prayer as a whole. That's the context of our bigger, uh, our bigger passage. Jesus teaches us to pray. He tells us to pray to the Father, and the Father gives us the Holy Ghost. And then next, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for that's what all the church fathers and reformers believe Jesus meant by the finger of God, Jesus casts out a demon. But some of the people who are present accuse him of casting out demons by Satan, whom they call Beelzebul, which is a term of derision that means Lord of the Flies or God of the Dunghill, because where do flies gather, right? In St. Matthew's version of this story, Jesus tells his accusers that they are in danger of the unforgivable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That is, they are refusing to see the Holy Spirit at work, but instead are attributing his work to the devil. So how do we recognize the Spirit's work? That's the question we should ask ourselves. How do we know when we are seeing the finger of God? And how do we walk in the Spirit as we make our Lenten journey, that journey that is so often characterized by spiritual warfare? Well, one thing that is evident from our Lenten Gospels is that Jesus' miracles are performed by the Holy Spirit. As we read all four Gospels, we see that a primary reason for those miracles is to prove that Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah, the promised Son of God. Satan would not cast out demons, right? That doesn't make any sense. Satan would not heal the sick. He likes people to be sick. 
Satan would not raise the dead. Satan would certainly not draw the lost sheep to their good shepherd. It's easy to think of the miracles uh, that we see in the Gospels or in the book of Acts as really being for the sake of the miracles themselves. They're showing something mighty, and that's pretty cool, right? After all, that's how some who claim to perform miracles often treat them today. But always in the scriptures, the miracles point to Jesus. When the Holy Spirit is at work, Jesus will always be glorified. And remember our Lord's own words from John 15, verse 26. He said, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit points us and other folks to Jesus. So when Christians put the spotlight on themselves rather than on Jesus, when the things they claim to be the work of the Spirit bear no resemblance to what we see in the Scriptures, those Scriptures through which the Spirit speaks and which point to Christ, we can be sure that those people are not working by the finger of God. Conversely, on the other hand, when a Christian's works do point to Jesus and conform with what we see in the scriptures, we can be assured that they are indeed done by the Spirit, even if they're not particularly dramatic or theatrical. When Jesus went into the wilderness to fast and pray then, when he went to do battle with the devil by resisting the temptation of the devil by means of the scriptures... The gospel said that he was led there by the Spirit. And the same kind of thing is true for us. Satan will not lead us to prayer or self-denial. Satan will not lead us to resist temptation. But the Holy Spirit will. And indeed, it is by the spiritual disciplines of fasting, of prayer, of fellowship, of worship, etc., 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 that the Lord trains us for battle. He strengthens us for that inevitable fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. A few nights ago, after the uh, girls had gone to bed, I was particularly, well, I was actually particularly grumpy before they went to bed. And, and, and to be truth, it, it was, it, I was sinfully grumpy. This was, this was, there was no righteous anger here. Um, and what was really going on is I was looking at all the ways I needed to play catch-up in my personal life, my professional life, and my pastoral life after returning from vacation. It's funny how often the fruit of vacation is extra work. We need that vacation because we get overwhelmed, but we also end up doing a lot of work afterwards. <laughs> and the main, the main temptation that was coming my way was to skip prayer to skip time in God's word, to blow off my Lenten disciplines, to ignore my family, all with the excuse that there was just too much to do. The temptation to self-reliance was, was pretty overwhelming. But the Holy Spirit reminded me through the voice of some mentors, remembering some of the stuff they've said, through reminding me of some past experiences, and, of course, bringing to mind the scriptures that my entire mental state, from the grumpiness to the self-reliance, was not from God, but rather was a temptation from the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
And so I went and prayed my office somewhat reluctantly. <laughs> I did not want to go do that. But with a much softer heart by the time I even reached the end of the Psalms, the Lord had already been working through his word. I found that things were then in their proper perspective. Yes, there were duties. Yes, things needed to be done. But God's bigger than those tasks. And my job, my first job, is to seek him and his kingdom, as our Lord told us. And I'm sure that many of you have similar stories that you could share. They're, they're, they're not necessarily anything particularly dramatic. They're not anything theatrical. But nevertheless, they are true illustrations of the Christian life being one of spiritual warfare. We're not called the church militant for nothing. The thing about spiritual warfare is that it cannot be done in our own strength. We must be empowered by Jesus through the Holy Spirit. We must be fighting with Jesus' strength. I'm reminded of the verse from Martin Luther's, uh, one of the verses from Martin Luther's seminal hymn, A Mighty Fortress. It really is one of the best. He wrote, did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, and that means Lord of hosts, Lord of armies, Lord of might, that sort of thing. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. When our gospel, Jesus spoke of the strong man being overcome by one stronger than he. The strong man he's talking about is fully armed. He's guarding his own palace. And that strong man is the devil. The strong man is Satan. His arms are temptations, and his palace is fallen humanity. He's guarding his prize. But the stronger man is Jesus himself, who overcomes Satan. He takes away all of his arms in armor, and he plunders his goods. That's you and me. St. Cyril of Alexandria says that Jesus has, quote, hamstrung him and stripped him of his power he possessed. Well, when we are born again, when we are baptized in the waters of regeneration and turn to Christ in repentance, Satan is overcome by our Lord Jesus. That's why we have a little exorcism in every baptism. The world, the flesh, and the devil are being hamstrung and stripped by God's work signified in those waters of baptism. Don't try to fight temptation by mere willpower. Even the secular researchers understand that willpower is not that strong. You ain't going to win. Rather, you must have the Holy Spirit. You must have the Spirit of Christ to be successful. In our collect for this week, we prayed, We beseech thee, Almighty God, look upon the hearty desires of thy humble servants and stretch forth the right hand of thy majesty to be our defense against our enemies through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it is God who is our defense against the enemy of our soul. And if we're truly humble, our hearty desires, those desires of our hearts, will be for the things of God's kingdom.
In the last verse of our gospel passage, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. We often think of keeping God's word when we hear that phrase as being synonymous with obedience. And we do need to be obedient to God's word, absolutely. However, the Greek word there for keeping is the same word used for the strong man guarding his palace. That is, our hearty desires our greatest treasure, the treasure that we must guard with all our might as sure as Satan is guarding his prizes is God's own word. By God's word are our hearts transformed. By God's word do we know our Lord Jesus Christ. By God's word do we have his promises. By God's word do the sacraments become more than mere bread and wine and water. By God's word is the spiritual warfare of the Christian life, that warfare of which which Lent is a yearly reminder. By God's word is it won through the stronger man, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.